Let's read the account of resurrection in the fourth gospel. John. A lot of very quick action on Easter Sunday. We go to John 20. And the accounts are very different from one another, showing there's no collusion. This is really eyewitness accounts, but they all agree with one another, even though they're quite different from each other. We're going to read the end of John 19, the burial of Christ. Do you remember his hands were pierced? His ankles were pierced to be crucified, and then after he died, they pierced his side rather than break his legs. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and they will look on him whom they have pierced. So we take it up, page 1077, John 19, verse 38, after these things. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up into place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. 
If you could just go to the last two verses of chapter 20. Last 220 for context. Now, verses 30 and 31, the purpose of this book. Now, Jesus did many other signs. In other words, the resurrection is one of the signs he did. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are written that you may believe. Let's focus on verses 1 through 9 as our text this morning, John 20, verses 1 through 9. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, you know the line. And they live happily, they lived happily ever after. That line is not just for fairy tales. It actually properly belongs to the gospel, and they lived happily ever after. That's the absolute truth of the gospel for everyone who believes Jesus. I don't know exactly what you're facing in your life and what you're fighting and what your pains and griefs are and your temptations and your worries and fears and persecutions and sicknesses. But I assure you, in the name of Jesus, you will win. There's an open door on the other side, and you will live happily ever after in Christ and with Christ. That's the good news of Easter. On that day, Jesus proved without a doubt that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And that's John's focus in the Gospel of John. He gave many signs. John focused on several of them. But the last sign that Jesus gave to prove that he's the Christ, the Son of God, and that you should believe in him so that you might have life in his name is this sign, the resurrection. And he calls you and me to faith today. And that by believing, you may have life. Because if you do not believe in him... There is only one thing ahead for you, not living happily ever after, but death, eternal punishment. There's a doorway out of that through Christ. Life, eternal life. So we want to see the ultimate sign this morning, that it's the final sign. It's the witnessed sign. And it's the prophetic sign. The ultimate sign, Christ's resurrection, It's the final sign that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. It's the witnessed sign. And it's the prophetic sign. It's the final sign. The first point, we're going to go mainly through context in the book of John before we get to John 20, verse 1. The gospel of John is structured, the whole thing, around seven signs. Now, John admits at the end, Jesus did many more, but he chose seven. You know the first sign. 
in the book of John. Turning the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And this sign he did to reveal his glory, manifest his glory. And the disciples believed in him, we read. Then in John 4, he healed the Roman official. The official's dying son. Spoke the word at a distance and the son was healed. And the official and his household believed in him. And John says, this is the second sign. The third sign, John 5, he healed the layman at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. The fourth sign, John 6, he fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then John folds in the miracle of the walking of the water into that sign. The two belong together as one. And he calls the people to believe in him, that he's the bread of life. The fifth sign is John 9, John or Jesus healing the man born blind. And the man responded in faith, Lord, I believe in you. And the sixth sign, John 11, he raised Lazarus from the grave with the result that many people believed in him, scaring the chief priests and the leaders and being all the more adamant we need to get rid of him. Six signs. But we need more. These six need to be completed by the seventh. They need the ultimate sign that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Christ meaning Messiah. The anointed king that God sent into the world from the Jewish people to save the world. And Good Friday, the king is set before us again. The crucified king. Remember with all these evidences that he really is what the sign said above his head, the king of Nazareth, or the Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And the proof is that he is fulfilling prophecy there hanging on the cross. The Old Testament said the king would suffer this. The proof also being he's ruling over the temptation to come down from the cross. He's going to fulfill his mission to the end to save his people from their sins. What a king. And the third evidence that he's a king, that he's accomplishing the mightiest deed ever done, dying as a curse for sin, to conquer sin and the curse and set us free. But all of this is false. If he stays dead, If death conquers him, then our faith is futile and we're still in our sin. There's no way out. There's no open door at the end of all the nice things or the bad things. Life, says Ecclesiastes, is meaningless if there's no resurrection. If he stayed dead, that the payment for sin was unsuccessful because the wages of sin is death. And if he says dead, that means the wage has not been paid and sin is not gone and we're stuck in damnation. His death on Good Friday awaits, needs a resurrection. The six signs need a seventh. And he had already told the disciples several times before he went to the cross, the seventh is coming. 
For example, he said, I must go to Jerusalem, or the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. He must be killed, and he must rise from the dead on the third day. It must happen if he's the Christ, the Son of God, and if we're to believe in his name and have life in him. It must. So John 19 is waiting for John 20. Everything depends on what happens next. Whether death is the winner or life, whether darkness is the winner or light, everything depends on what happens next. Jesus stays dead, all hope is dead. And life is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But if Jesus rises, we have life. And you must believe in him so you will not perish. Well, so much depends on what happens in John 20 and on what Mary Magdalene and the others who came with her discovered at the tomb. And that's what we see secondly. The final sign is witnessed. The resurrection of Christ. The seventh sign is witnessed. Look at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She's not alone. Look at verse 2. They have taken the Lord of the tomb and we, she's not by herself, we don't know where they've laid him. But John has zoomed the lens in on Mary as the first witness of the risen Lord. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke put her name first for that reason. She's like a little bit ahead. And then she comes back later and meets the risen Lord. Or the risen Lord meets her. But she's coming. She's not singing Easter songs. She's weeping. She's not expecting a resurrection. The other gospels tell her, tell us she's coming with spices. You know, the, the guys have done not a bad job, but the women have to come and sort of tidy this up and make sure that the proper, the burial is proper. So here she comes. Still dark, first rays of sunshine are, are beaming upon that Sunday morning. The other gospels tell us. Across the garden where Joseph's tomb has been hewn and where Jesus has been laid. And she sees, and this, this fact is unique to John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke hint at it, but John just says it. She sees that the stone has been what? Rolled away? No. Taken away. Taken away. You know how heavy these things are? One to two tons, Joseph being a rich man, likely on the heavier side of that and more elaborate tomb that he had hewn for himself. And, and these stones had been rounded, carved, and, and put in a groove that sloped downward, and they'd be rolled up and be wedged, and then you take the wedge out, and it would roll down easily into its spot. But to roll it back up, took at least two men with pole as a leverage, for leverage. 
It's easy to close, but hard to open. Mary gets there and sees the stone is not just rolled away, but taken away. It's just out of the slot altogether, thrown aside and laying on the ground. And we know in other gospels, the angels are sitting on it. The word means lifted out, taken away, lifted out. Clearly left the whole slot, the groove, and thrown on the ground. It's like something violent happened to remove it. And we know what that was, an earthquake, Matthew says. And that's the first evidence that this is not, if it's grave robbery, a very unusual kind. Who took the stone and like tossed it over there? But Mary assumed it was the work or it was foul play. So she ran and told Peter, verse 2, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John. And she said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and I don't know where they've laid him. Are they with the other disciples? Are they on on their own? We not told. But Peter and John came running. They're running to investigate Mary's claim. They come as fast as they can, but John's a little younger and a little faster. He gets there first ahead of Peter. He stoops and he peeks in. The doorways were quite low, three to four feet. And he sees the first evidence. The body's not there, but the linen cloths are lying there. It's like they're empty. You see the evidence of the empty tomb, but not the empty tomb. Because if the tomb is totally empty, there's no grave clothes. What kind of evidence is that? But there are linen cloths just lying there. The cloths that have been wound tightly around his body. Grave robbers would take those claws and the spices. Those were expensive items. Good for resale. But whatever happened, somebody left them there. And it was quite orderly, the whole scene. Quite neat. And the enemies wouldn't steal the body because they had put guards there and sealed the tomb, make sure nobody steals his body. So John sees the linen claws. He stoops, but he doesn't go in. Peter comes running in behind him. He comes to the entrance of the tomb. He ducks past John to go all the way in. And he sees the linen claws lying there, but he sees something else, another piece of evidence. Verse 7, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. This is tidy. It's like he passed out of his grave clothes, stood up, took the cloth off his head, folded it, put it in a separate place. This is the work of Jesus. Carefully providing evidences of the ultimate sign so that we might believe. 
And if we don't have direct eyewitness evidence, we have the record of the eyewitnesses. We need that. They needed that for their faith. We need that for our faith. Such detail. I love this detail. The details of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus' details. Of the ultimate sign. The seventh sign. Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, Peter doesn't compute this all right away. We know from Matthew that he goes away, or from Luke, he goes away wondering to himself what had happened. But John puts the pieces together, and he has that, aha, he believed. Then the other disciple, verse 9, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and what? He believed. He got it. He put it together. This is not an outside job. This is an inside job. Jesus did it. He must be alive. He's quiet about it. Quiet. He waits confirmation to the end of the day. But he's sure. And this is the amazing testimony of the first witnesses. Now Mary's back there with them and she's weeping outside the tomb and Peter and John run back home and she's there and Jesus meets her and she becomes convinced. I've seen the Lord. But that's what should amaze us most, congregation, is not what they saw but what Jesus showed. You know, if they just saw the risen Jesus and we don't have any of this other evidence, it's like, is the guy who was crucified and put in the tomb the same as this, this risen apparition that we're seeing? It might just be a simulation or some new representation. And if that's not the same guy, then what hope do I have when my body gets put in the grave? When my death comes... We have both sides of the evidence. Not first the risen Jesus, but the empty grave clothes. Like, yeah, that's the same guy. And he proves that more later with the, the marks on his hands and side. But Jesus is so careful to testify to our faith the truth of the ultimate sign. He is risen from the dead. And there's a beautiful trail of evidence all through the Gospel of John. We hope to look at more of that evidence this afternoon. First, a totally removed stone. Secondly, an empty tomb. That is, his body is not there. Third, the empty grave clothes. Fourth, the folded head cloth in a separate place. Fifth, meeting the Savior himself. Sixth, he ate and drank with them to show them it was a real body. Then he seventh, showed them his hands and his side. And he did that a second time for Thomas who needed you know, extra showing. Seven signs. Or seven evidences of the seventh sign. But step by step he showed them the ultimate sign. Jesus raised himself from the dead. The Bible beautifully Shows it as the work, the resurrection of the work of the Father. The Father raised his son from the dead. The work of the Son. I lay down my life on my own accord and I take it up again. The Son raised himself. And 
He did so by the Spirit. The Spirit who gave life to his body, Romans 8. And will give life to ours when we're there as believers. But there's one more evidence. The highest and the best that they needed and that came last. What was that? Anybody guess? Scriptures? See what John says there? Verse 8b, John saw and believed. He's just like Thomas. I need to see in order to believe. Why does Thomas get the bad rap? John saw and believed. For as yet, verse 9, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They needed to see it. To believe it. And then they could see and understand the scriptures. And that took a little longer. But Jesus started that scripture testimony already on day one, Easter Sunday. We read that in Luke How with the two men on the road to Emmaus, he opens the scriptures to them and opens their heart and gives them understanding. And then he goes to Jerusalem late in the evening on Easter Sunday and he, well, it says there, he spoke to them. He said, basically, let's open our Bibles to Genesis. And we read in Luke 24, everything Jesus said to his disciples, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What do the law, the Moses and uh, prophets and Psalms say? Thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. The whole Testament preaches the Christ should suffer. And on the third day, rise from the dead. The scriptures are the ultimate evidence of the ultimate sign. (laughs) Like the prophecy in Genesis 3, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Resurrection. The bruising of the heel is overcome by the crushing of the head. Resurrection. Or like Isaac being sacrificed by Abraham on the altar. And then coming off the altar alive, Hebrews says, that prefigures the resurrection. He got on. He was killed. Isaac, sort of. Not really. Jesus, for sure. And then he got off. Or Joseph going down into the pit of suffering. And then being exalted to prince. Jesus. Or Jonah, three days in the belly of the fish before he was vomited out and resurrected to stand on the land again. Jesus. Or like Isaiah 53, the suffering servant would be despised and rejected and killed in the place and placed in the grave of the wicked. Yet he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. Resurrection. Or like Hosea. Chapter 6, after two days, the Lord will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Resurrection on the third day. Or like the psalmist, Psalm 16, saying he will not let his, God will not let his Holy One see corruption in the grave. Resurrection. Resurrection. 
Or Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Resurrection. And as Jesus spoke with them, visited with them, taught them, more and more they could see the ultimate sign that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God from the Bible itself. It must happen. Because God said it. And his word always proves itself true. If it doesn't, the world would fall apart. Because his word holds the world together. His word must come true. It's impossible that it doesn't. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is risen from the dead. They saw it in the empty tomb, the empty grave clothes. They saw it in him. They touched him. And above all, they saw it in the scriptures. And this is written, says John, to the whole world that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why the, the sign was put here with all its evidences. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Little children, believe in him. Trust him. Don't wait till you're 20. Who said you had to wait till you're 20? Did anybody ever tell you you're too young to believe? It's a lie. Believe. Believe him. If you're old enough to understand what this passage is saying, you are old enough to believe. Oh, you got a lifetime for your faith to grow, but believe now. And teenagers, believe in him now. Remember your creator and your redeemer in the days of your youth so you don't waste any more time in hopeless despair or without real purpose in life, just living for yourself. That's wasting your life. Make the most of this time by believing in Jesus. That will change your world. He will change your world. He will open the door to meaningful living. Living for the kingdom and the progress of the kingdom. Seeking the glory of Christ in your schooling. Young adults, you got to settle this matter of faith now. You really do. you got to settle this matter of faith now. Give your life to him. Do not be disbelieving, but believe. He's the Christ. He's hope. He's joy and middle-aged and older. Believe in him and keep believing and resting him because to choose Christ is to choose life. To refuse Christ is to choose death. Jesus is risen. That means there's forgiveness for you. The payment went through. That means there's life 
for you. Now already. And then resurrection later. That means there's hope, there's power to change. Stuck in the rut of some kind of sin or despair. You don't have to stay there. There's a way out of that tomb and that darkness. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness and change, resurrection. Jesus is risen and there's a new creation. Light has overcome the darkness. Life has overcome death in Christ. Your story has a happy ending and you will live happily ever after. Amen. Father, your son has risen over the world. Open our eyes to see that sunshine. To believe in the ultimate sign of Jesus that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That he's the Messiah, our king and redeemer. Lord, help us to run, not walk, to him. That we might find in him blessedness of life, meaning, purpose, joy, hope forgiveness, everything a human being could ever need. And then give us grace by your spirit to grab on to the hope of glory in Christ Jesus, your son, and to share that with our needy neighbors. Hear us. Reveal your son in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.